0: Hi, guys. Um, Thanks for tuning into this uh, podcast today. Um, I have with me one of the resources we use at Inner Leadership to show how leadership comes from within. So today I have with me um, Grant Rawlingson. Grant is a rugby player, explorer, and has achieved many, many things. I will just do a, a few quick chats with Grant to discuss some of the, his achievements. But I think what's probably more important, at least for me to learn personally, is how he can help people reach within themselves to achieve impossible goals. So Grant, it's great to have you here. And maybe I can just ask you very quickly to give an overview of your background. Hi,
1: Diasa, it's nice to be here. And uh... Just a brief overview to myself. Well, I'm born and bred in the New Zealand. Um, however, when I was 21 years old, I moved to Singapore. I had an opportunity to move to Singapore here, where I've been based for now the last 25 years of my life. And my purpose in life, really, is to make remote, exploratory, human-powered journeys around the planet. Now, over the course of the last 25 years, I've walked across countries, cycled across continents, rode across many seas, and climbed many mountains around the world. So together with my teams, we've learned a lot of lessons on these journeys. And now we translate those lessons into learning adventures uh, in the corporate world, specifically around how teams can work together more effectively in complex and ambiguous environments. And the framework, the lens that we really work through, Des, is, um is the lens of decision-making.
0: So yeah, no grant. Well, as so I was listening to some of your stuff and reading some of the stuff that you have online, right? One of your achievements was to go from Australia to New Zealand to row across and to do something where there was a 50% debt rate and a 100% failure rate. How do you make a decision to go ahead and do something like this?
1: Well, um, I would reframe that decision, Des, um, around the lens of how do we deal with risk? How do we make decisions around risk and manage risk in a way which is acceptable to us and our teams? Now, I work with a lot of teams at the moment who are having a massive push to innovate, to drive exploration, to drive innovation, but they feel like they're stuck with the handbrake on because they're, they're frustrated. Why are our teams not trying new things? when we do a deep dive into the culture of those teams or those organizations, we often find out things like they may have core values around safety first, you know, managing risk, not taking any risks whatsoever. It may not even be a written value, but it just may be a, an underlying subculture in those teams that people are scared to actually take risks and fail. So, so just to, to answer your question, um, especially, I like that. Um, I like how you framed it. How do you how do you differentiate between something which is foolhardy and uh, taking a risk? Well, really, it's um, have you prepared enough so that when you get yourself into trouble, okay, you have options and you're not going to kill yourself. Every, things are going to go wrong. They're always going to go wrong, Des, but when they go wrong, do you have a plan A? Do you have a plan B? Do you have a plan C? Have you prepared? Have you practiced for them? Do you have protocols in place to get you out of, get yourself out of trouble? Um, when, those, uh, when those storms blow through.
0: Okay, so it's back to the old adage about preparation. You know, i been being ready to pre- prepare. Are you saying that motivation inside there is, is not just enough? You also need to make sure that you're in the condition or you have the uh, protocols in place to ensure that you're not doing something foolhardy.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting question there. Uh, you know, motivation is something generally uh, I would describe as, as temporary.
0: Yeah, I know. No, no I, I agree with you fully. But um, so is it a question of balance also on a team? So I'm asking, like, I'm just kind of delving in here a little bit more, is that, is it the, again, the old adage, is the weakest link in the team? So whether it's in business or whether it's out on a, 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 out on a survival or a human, one of the human power journeys that you've done, the failure will be like in the space shuttle that blew up was on the O-rings. It was a small overlooked part. In the teams, is it about training across the full spectrum of the team so that everybody in a project, in a, in, in a goal environment has the tools and the resilience to get there? Because it one, it's not just a star or the, the, the team that leads out front. It's also
1: the team behind. Well, there's my particular area of expertise working with corporate teams is around decision making, effectiveness, the way teams make decisions. So when it comes to making decisions in these types of environments, then there is so many different ways that that individuals or teams can make decisions. What I try and do is break it down into very simple Yet powerful, actionable frameworks that people can understand in this type of environment, Des, when should an individual, when is it okay for an individual to make a decision on behalf of the team? Okay, when do you need to get other team members involved? When is it actually going to be detrimental to get other team members involved in the type of decision? So it's not, a, it's not an easy answer. I don't have a specific binary answer for you to answer your question there about is it the weakest link? Because I, I think that when it comes to decision making, um, especially, we need to look at the type of environment. We need to look at the speed that decision needs to be made in. We need to look at the complexity of that particular decision as well uh, before we start thinking about how we can make decisions
0: so, you're really saying that it's a question of balancing empowerment versus appropriateness and around the ex- expertise as well, right? So that the right person is making the decision.
1: Yeah, well, you used a used a very important word there, which is empowerment. In, in today's day and age, we're seeing a shift uh, from successful organisations and teams, not just in the corporate world, but from the military military backgrounds, and you know, in the sports world, we've seen this ever since team sports have been there. They've been leading leading the way. The teams which are agile and adaptable in today's very uncertain and volatile environments are the ones where decision-making is decentralized. It's not this old, um, highly structured kind of hierarchical decision-making, which organizations, you know, the the management sciences, has been thrashing for the last 100 years and over.
0: So would it be fair to say kind of a fluid hierarchy in decision-making, as in depending on the appropriateness of the environment, of where you meet yourself? So if you were crossing a desert and the jeep broke down, and you have a mechanic, it's his job to fix it, not yours.
1: We're talking about specialization um, of roles there, but absolutely, uh, you know, if you look at um, at a high-performing team, then you don't want a team of clones. If you're crossing a desert and you're going to build a team to cross that desert, you wouldn't specifically um, pick a team full of mechanics just in case the car broke down. You want some mechanical expertise, but you'd also want navigation expertise. Um, You'd also want people who are adept at living in those particular conditions, um, in the heat of a desert. You'd want People with medical experience, you want people with communication experience, you'd want a balance of roles within the team um, so that no matter what happened, uh, you know, you would have people, you'd have the diversity of strength and abilities and knowledge and skill sets in that team to handle whatever situations you can get. Now, on that particular point, um, Des, because that was a very good, um, very good issue you raised there, what you'll see in some teams these days is you see what we call echo chambers. This is where we see um, leaders who, who populate teams with people who are very similar to themselves. They may not necessarily have to look similar, but they have similar beliefs, similar attitudes, similar backgrounds and similar experiences. And what we see in these team decision making meetings, especially is echo chambers forming where, you know, everyone is echoing what everyone else is saying. And they naturally think, we're a great team, you know? We're all highly aligned here. We're all, you know, agreeing with each other. We're making rapid decisions. Actually, it's the opposite in a complex environment. They're making very ineffective decisions because they don't have something called cognitive diversity. And cognitive diversity is the superpower of team decision-making, getting different people's expertise and experience involved in these decision-making things.
0: Yeah, I can relate to this for even teams that I have created myself, because it's a lot easier for to be sitting down with people agreeing with you rather than people not agreeing with you, right? And making that decisions. But if you're given a team, because often we can't select the team that we have. Have you? develop tools? Or are you looking to develop tools whereby the leaders, inverted commas, of those teams can take this cognizant, cognitive dissidents or di- the different views and take them on board without probably some primal need to be right so that we can, one, those who are lead, in the lead position that take this. And then uh, secondly, on the other side, those who are giving it can feel comfortable in giving it. So is this something that you work on in your, in your workshops?
1: Yes. One thing I would like to say, um, just to take a step back here in terms of um, working with teams and developing teams, there is very little that I create. I learn and I share tools and frameworks, which many leaders and many teams have been using for a very, very long time. To say that, hey, well, I've created something new in the area of team dynamics and teamwork and the way teams work together these days, because teams have been around functioning for an extremely um, a long time. And it's no real rocket science when it comes to teams, how teams actually work really effectively together. There is a little bit of secret sauce to what makes really good teams. However, the basic fundamental building blocks, you know, are, uh, if you've done, if you spend any time studying teams and working in teams in high pressure environments, there are some basic building blocks there in terms of what, of what makes a um, high performing team. So an answer to your question there, I haven't developed any spe- anything specific. I'm just teaching methods, which are tried and tested and proven for developing things like psychological safety you know, how do you uh, create an environment in your team where people feel encouraged, where feel, people feel safe, where they feel that it's welcome to offer diverse opinions, to challenge the status quo, to challenge the ideas without being castigated? You know, for coming up with something different. That's how we develop a culture of psychological safety, Des. Okay. And then one of the thing, one of the big things that leaders have to transition or lead or 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 move away from when they move into these more and more VUCA environments, is this notion, this, this absolutely um, terrible notion, This there's this quote that I see floated around uh, regularly that leaders have to know the way, show the way, and go the way. Okay, that the leader has to know everything, they have to walk out the front, they have to be making all the decisions and everyone else follows along behind. The more VUCA the environment, The more empowered and decentralized decision-making needs to be, number one. And number two, no leader can make all the decisions in a complex environment these days. A leader's role in highly functioning VUCA environments these days is to not make all the decisions on behalf of the team. It's to get the best decisions out of the team.
0: No, I've, that's very interesting. Grant, um, I don't know, this is a recorded session, but we're recording it on the 200th anniversary of the birth of Napoleon. Napoleon would be down to either one of the greatest leaders, still creates passions as we sit today. He's somebody that created his own leadership, driven it through, etc., and a cult personality. Since that time, besides the political field, we've seen this develop in the business field all the way to recently, as, as more recently as we sit today, the cult of personality around Elon Musk. But going back to, I'm a bit older, the Jack Welch way, all these guys, they develop the personality in those, in those businesses. I think it's a little bit like, like the echo chamber you spoke earlier, kind of leadership that's, that's out, out there. Is that less, do you see that as less relevant into today's environment in actually inspiring teams? Um, Is it more a branding than it is a a leadership style?
1: Well, I I think um, these type of highly charismatic leaders are incredible human beings for a start, and they have incredible leadership capabilities. However, um, what causes a great deal of confusion, Des, is when people try and emulate them, when they see they think that's what leadership is. Branded around more than any of those names you just mentioned, and that was Steve Jobs right yes, 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 um, that's leadership that's steve job leadership is what he does he not only comes up with the idea he actually gets his fingers so intertwined in every single little piece of the build of the ipad um, that he knows every single intricate detail you know if most organizations tried to run with leaders like that they would fold very very quickly having a leader who wants to um, get involved with the intricate details of that kind of level wouldn't be healthy for most organizations. He had the ability to pull that off. Elon Musk, you know, these are these are very different um, leaders. There will always be a place for very charismatic leaders like this who are very, very driven and they have this vision and they go out there and naturally they attract people who follow them. However, it's very confusing for, um, let's just say the, um, <laughs> the rest of the world, The rest of the leaders in the world, if they look to that particular model and they think that's what we need to be, that's what leadership is in in today's day and age, because in fact, they are outliers. They are massive outliers in the world of our teams, which work effectively effectively in VUCA environments. If you go into a highly VUCA environment, a highly, let's just take, for example, you're in my rowing boat offshore in the middle of a storm. You're in a military combat zone or something and you have Steve Jobs there controlling the troops. No one can think for themselves. Okay, they all wait for Steve to tell them what to do. When my boat flips upside down, I'm like, I don't know what to do now. The water's coming in, but let's wait till Steve comes along here and tells me what to do. He'll know what to do you can see that you're gonna die very quickly. You know, there's been studies of Himalayan climbers by the University of Southern California, 36,000 Himalayan climbers were studied in different climbing teams and the teams that operated in these highly structured decision-making cultures, this Steve Jobs type of leadership, one person at the top making all the decisions were far more likely to die than the teams who were empowered to make their own decisions because the teams who are empowered can be agile and adaptable when the decision-making cultures change. So I would say there is a huge amount of confusion, Diz, in the world of leadership as we've gone to this very volatile, uncertain complex world we're in now, because certain people think that they need to lead like these outliers, these completely random outliers, Steve Jobs, when in fact Leading like that, leading a team the way they do in a very VUCA environment is making your team actually very, very fragile.
0: So Grant, you have done all these, these inspiring things. What is one thing that you're going to be doing in the next three to four years that's similar, if that's, if you have something planned?
1: Well, in the next three to four years, Des, um, I, uh, I'm i going to be riding the waves of COVID uncertainty because COVID is going to be around for the next three to four years, most definitely. Um, there is this bias that I see at the end of the year, everything's going to change and next year it's magically going to disappear. It's not going to magically disappear on January the 1st. So um, um, I have a number of expedition plans, but now is the time more than anything, Des, to be agile and adaptable. It's, it's a highly VUCA environment. I have plans with my new boat to uh, row across the bay, or well, not row. It's a human-powered boat. It's a pedal-powered boat to cross the Bay of Bengal, which um, now has been put on hold for over two years, due to well, 15 months due to COVID. So that's uh, that's how I'm. That's what I'm doing in the next uh, three to four years, Des, is just being agile and adaptable and. Uh, making the most of the opportunities when they come uh, um, come along.
0: Okay, no, that sounds very interesting. Very, very good. Grant, thank you so much for taking this time. Um, and hopefully anybody that's listening uh, can see and understand what Grant and can help you structure your thoughts around your themes and and inspire your teams to work better. So um, Grant, thank you so much.
1: Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Have a great day.